You know, God had a way of saying to the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt, it's time to move. It's time to go. And it's time to stay. What was that? We'll talk about that and more. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Him. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery. And on Bible Discovery, we take you through the Bible. Very exciting. And today we land in the book of Numbers. That's good. We're going to look at numbers. So that's interesting. Corey, what's going on? I'm taking my cue from Numbers chapter 8, in which God tells Aaron which direction to put the lamps on the lampstand. Ryan? <laughs> well, today I attempt to tackle an apparent Bible contradiction between Numbers chapter 4, Numbers chapter 8, and Ezra chapter 3. That's a big connection there. That's really something. Tall order. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. What are you doing, Jen? Bringing our gifts. All right, good. So open your Bible. Let's look at Numbers chapter 7 and listen to what God is speaking to us right now. Numbers 7, verses 9 through 17. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, They shall offer their offering, one leader, each day for the dedication of the altar. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashan, the son of Aminadab, from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels, full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashan, the son of Aminadab. Numbers chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Numbers chapter 7, 8, and 9. This is our reading today as we go through the Bible. We are traveling through the Bible this year, and it is very exciting. Now, the offerings of Israel were very important to the priest of Israel for lots of reasons. God had the first reason. God had established the priesthood through his calling instead of through human election or qualifications like their level of education. Now, God makes his decisions according to his knowledge of the past, knowledge of the present, and knowledge of the future. His divine mind is not limited by human flaws or natural barriers. The system of offerings not only served to teach Israel about God, but they were also a support for the priest as they worked for God. 
Now, the idea of supporting elders and teachers is still in place today. Now, the divine mind is a phrase I like to use when referring to the God of the Bible because it reminds me that God's ways are more high and above my own ways. Although we humans have free choice, it is the living God who is supreme, and I mean supreme, over everyone and everything, let me tell you. And as we focus on this today, take your Bible guide and turn with me to Numbers. This is a great one. We're going to focus on Numbers chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible guide, you know my question. I always ask it here, and you're used to it. Then the question is, why not? You should get a Bible guide. And if you get a Bible guide, you can call us or write us and ask for one. Another way to do it is simply go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on it. And it'll take you to a donate page, and then it'll take you to a page where you can download it right there. Very, very good. Very interesting. Now, as we look at this, let's pray about it and ask God to show us about offerings. Father, I pray there's a lot of things surrounding offerings, and a lot of people have different ideas about them, and there's so many organizations. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show us the truth through reading the scripture, through seeing here in Numbers what you've said, help us to understand that this is important. This is the only important thing, and this is the only truth. Give us the objective truth about offerings in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. As we focus on this, let's go to Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. But to the sons of Kohath, those are the head priests, He gave none because theirs was the service of the holy things, which they carried on their shoulders. The priest did not have an inheritance, beloved. Verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. Huh. Now the leaders offered their offering to the Lord. Beloved, listen carefully. Tithes and offerings are non-negotiable. God desires that we give willingly. And I know people who give about 2-3% a year. And they call themselves Christians. God speaks to us about offerings in Malachi. And he says, you're robbing from God. You say, well, that's not in the New Testament. Okay, we can go to 1 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul assumes that's right, and and they're just going to keep giving. Very important. Or we could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and talk about it too. I can talk about it from 1 Timothy chapter 6, or we can talk, there's a number of places in the New Testament, beloved. The offerings of God typically are 10% of our total income. They're not tithes, or they're not, rather, they're not uh, taxes. But tithe is a gift to God because we love the Lord. We make a gift to God because we love the Lord. Now, Numbers chapter 7, verse 11. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. Do you see what they did here? This is absolutely stunning. Offerings were made each day for the dedication of the altar. They were dedicating the place where the offerings would be processed. When we give to the church, 
we should remember we are giving to the work of Christ Jesus. That's who we're giving to. We're giving to the work of Jesus Christ. We're not giving to the people or this. We're not giving for this project or that we're, we, we might be, but we're giving. Ultimately, when we give our tithes, we give to the Lord. When we give our offerings, we may have a project in mind, that's fine, but we give to the Lord. We say, Lord, we want to do something about it because we love you. And you said, don't let the poor live in your land. So we're giving to you in Jesus' name. And we need to see that, beloved. We need to understand that. That becomes very important. Now let's go on to the next one, number 7, verse 12. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab, from the tribe of Judah, or praise. His offering was one of silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in, the, in its first year, as a burnt offering, one kid of goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashan, the son of Aminadab. He was a leader in Israel. Now listen carefully. There were four offerings given. As Christians, we must daily present our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give yourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. This is Romans 12, with which you can determine the will of God. This is what Romans 12 says. And Paul repeats this and says this over and over again. We need to understand that when we give ourselves to God, that he is going to take our lives and gently change us and reshape us. He doesn't come in to see how he can help us live. He comes in to change how we live. How we live. And you may be somebody who is tired of how you're living because you're not living with the knowledge of God. Come to Jesus today. You say, I know him. I use him as a swear word. He doesn't care. You need to come to him as Lord. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and you rose again in the flesh three days later. Forgive me of my sin. You paid the price. I am yours. Take me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that prayer because that's important. We need to say that prayer. I say it every day. We need to say that prayer and remind ourselves of how good God is. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. 
God is going to make things change in our lives, and this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time, and I find that absolutely amazing. Well, as we continue on in our study of the Bible, our assigned reading today is Numbers chapter 7 to 9. And it's here that an apparent contradiction arises. And that's because the Bible records three different ages for when Levites entered into their service. Numbers chapter 4 verse 3 says it's 30 years old, but Numbers 8.24 says 25. And Ezra 3.8 claims that it's 20 years of age. So we have three different passages, all giving three different ages. How can these discrepancies possibly be resolved? Let's study. Many believe the Bible to be in conflict with itself in many places and therefore reject it as God's word. For example, there seems to be a contradiction throughout the scriptures over the age at which Levites entered their service in the sanctuary. For example, Numbers 4.3 states quite clearly that from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, are all the Levites who entered the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. However, Numbers 8.24 states that from 25 years old and above, Levites may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And Ezra 3.8 gives yet another age of 20 years. Here we have three separate passages with three different ages for the beginning of a Levite service. In regards to the alleged discrepancy between Numbers 4.3 and 8.24, where the ages of 30 and 25 are given, the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary suggests that the Levites entered on their work in the 25th year as pupils and probationers under the superintendence and direction of their senior brethren, and at 30 they were admitted to the full discharge of their official functions. Given the context of these two chapters, this seems a very reasonable explanation. Bible scholar Gleason Archer agreed and further pointed out that even young Samuel, much younger than 25, was involved in such duties, with particular responsibilities as Eli's houseboy. In other words, he says, there were many different types and grades of service to be cared for by underage Levites. Finding the solution for Ezra 3.8, which records the full service of a Levite beginning at age 20, requires that we go back five centuries to the time of King David. Indeed, in 1 Chronicles 23, David changes the age from 30 to 20. Therefore, Ezra 3.8 is simply reflecting those changes made. It is clear upon examination of these scriptures that there are absolutely no contradictions. Now, because of time constraints, I didn't have time to really get into 1 Chronicles 23, where King David actually changes the age from 30 to 20. But I do recommend looking at that passage on your own because it's very important. And the point, of course, is that there are absolutely no discrepancies between any of these passages. On the contrary, exploring these and other passages in the Bible revealed the solution, an important principle to keep in mind. And I think it's important to remember that you begin in this uh, particular passage, which is before they have the promised land, and David is in the promised land when they're there and they're not traveling around, and Ezra is after the mm -hmm. promised land. So it's three different times. 
before in the promised land and after they've been away for 70 years and they come back. I think that's important to remember as well. Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, apparent contradictions that if you, if you just understand that they're different times in history, you realize, okay, <laughs> things yeah, because, change, yeah, right? Yeah, because things they do. They do. And, yeah. and people to understand or to remember that the first 10 years really is supposed, supposed to be uh, for apprenticeship anyway, you have to just remind it by making it that. Mm -hmm. So you go back to 20 years. So that's very, very interesting. Thank yeah. you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Corey? All right. Well, I was reading Numbers chapter 8 when God gives really specific instructions to the high priest Aaron on which directions to place the lamps on the lampstand, which later becomes known as the menorah of the tabernacle and then later the temple of Solomon. But of course, Solomon doesn't just have this menorah. He makes many more as well because that's just King Solomon's personality. You'll see when we get there if you haven't read that yet already. But it got me thinking about uh, light in particular. Today we're pretty spoiled. We can just flick on a light switch. We have uh, flashlights. We even have phones that have flashlights, you know, kind of built into them. But let's take a look at uh, lights and lamps and lighting in the ancient world from this time period. Until the invention of the modern light bulb in the 19th century, variations of the oil lamp were heavily relied upon to provide light in dark spaces. No one knows exactly when, where, or who invented the original oil lamp, but lamps have been discovered in abundance in the archaeological record, apparently some even surviving from the 4th and 3rd millenniums BC. These very ancient lamps are simple bowls made of clay and burnished, rubbed all over with a stone to close up any porous holes, making the vessel more liquid friendly. Oil would be poured into the bowl and wicks laid into the oil and up the side of the bowl, where they would be lit on fire, resulting in a controlled, slow burn that provided light. The next phase in lamp development saw the bowls pinched to form rests for the wicks. This would have made the lamps a bit more portable, with the wicks less likely to dislodge. A popular varying style was made with four pinched wick rests, and some were even made on tall bases. In the late Bronze Age, lamp form changed in a distinct enough way that they are now used to help archaeologists date occupation layers. Lamps went from having edges that curved in slightly to having edges that were folded outwards, creating a flattened rim look. By the time of the biblical judges and kings, oil lamps in the Middle East had hit their stride. They were handmade of unburnished pink clay with outturned flattened rims. Some lamps, of course, go outside of what was probably normal. For example, around the time of Solomon, lamps with seven wick openings were popular, and some lamps have been found where the edges have been pinched right together, creating a true spout. Interestingly, during the time of the biblical divided kingdom, a difference in lamp construction can be seen between the two kingdoms. Southern Judah added a clay disc to the base of their lamps. During the time of the New Testament, Herodian lamps were in use. They were made on a potter's wheel and were of a closed form, having two openings with little to no decoration. They stand in sharp contrast with Roman-style lamps that were very decorative and made using an upper and lower mold. Like many elements of, you know, just living life as a human here on planet Earth, lamps and light and darkness 
definitely are used in the scriptures, especially later on when we get into the Psalms and the Proverbs and even the prophets who use more um, symbolism and imagery to describe spiritual truths. We're going to see lamps and light and darkness pop up a lot more. But back to our scripture reading today in Numbers chapter 8, where God tells Aaron, you know, which direction to place the lamps so that the light will be cast in a certain way. You know, he's talking about the lamps, uh, putting these seven lamps on the lampstand specifically in the tent tabernacle. And it's really interesting to note, you know, if you go back to Exodus chapter 25, the the description of the lampstand is given uh, where it's made to look like a stylized almond tree, which is really interesting uh, when we get later on in the scripture, we're going to see the almond tree pop up again and almond branches and and almond uh, flowers pop up again in symbolism and prophecy. I think it's important to remember as well that this menorah is in the temple and God has assigned it for the temple because there are times when we see eight candles on menorahs, but that's because it's a feast of dedication. Right. That comes later Hanukkah. on. Yes. And that comes later on. Yes. You know, uh, so, so this is, it's not even called a menorah in the scripture. This is just called a lampstand yes. here. And later on it develops, right? Like, like history does. It develops and it grows. And there's some really cool history that goes along with it. Yeah, there are. The Maccabees were amazing <laughs> mm-hmm. people, actually. Very good. Uh, excellent, Corey. Janice? So in this segment, I titled it Bringing Our Gifts because as we read through the offerings of the leaders in Numbers chapter 7, it's amazing. We have pages of each of the tribal leaders listing the offerings that they were so thrilled and pleased to give to God. And every one of them was written down so that for future generations, it could be recited and and um, read aloud to hear those things that were given so willingly and so wonderfully to the Lord their God. And, and I thought it reminded me of bringing gifts, our gifts to God as well. Now, more striking to me than the gifts that were given was actually the last three verses, this striking example of what happened in the end of this chapter. And it says here, now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with God, Moses heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat, that was on the Ark of the Testimony from between the two cherubim. And thus he or God spoke to him, meaning Moses. This was Moses actually hearing the voice of God speaking from the innermost sanctuary. It was a mark of God's approval. The Israelites' gifts had been received with pleasure. And I thought, what a momentous moment that must have been to hear the voice of God uh, with this mark of approval that he had accepted with pleasure the gifts that the Israelite tribal leaders had given to him. How much still the same today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as lovers and followers of God, that we can still continue to give him our gifts lovingly, cheerfully, willingly, because as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand where our provision comes from. Oh yes, we'll have our jobs and we get a paycheck, but who provided that job? 
who provided the income that we get. And there are others around the world that don't have those, those benefits like we have here and totally trust in the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. They see the hand of God moving in their lives when there is nothing to eat. And they say a blessing and a thanksgiving to God for the food that they're about to receive, even though they don't have it in front of them. And a knock will come at the door. How many times have I read testimonies from people in those very situations? And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and there's been provision. So many, so many wonderful testimonies that I could share with you that you probably already have in your heart as well. But for us to be able to give of ourselves, of our resources, to give back to God willingly and with a cheerful heart. This is what these tribal leaders had the opportunity to do, Rod. And, and it's listed here for us, one after the other after the other. And this was done on a daily basis here from these tribal leaders. So, so very important. It made me think we're just through the Christmas season, mm -hmm. but that it, you say it's one of your favorite Christmas songs and that's the little drummer boy. And you know, it's true, this little boy, and I know it's just a made up song and an made up thought, but it's, it is that thought that even that little boy, all he could do was play a drum. And yet, and it makes me want to cry in this song because you know me, I get, I get tearful about everything, happy, sad, whatever. But I think of this, it's the same thing that there are so many of us, you might be thinking, well, I have nothing to give to the Lord. I have nothing. I don't have any talents. Yes, you do. God made and designed you. You are not an accident. God has uniquely designed you. Do you know that there's nobody else on the face of the earth just like you and that God loves you intensely and that he has gifted you with so many different things, even the things when you you go out and you smile at people or when you encourage somebody, when you're just polite and when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, those are the things, those are the offerings that we give. And out of our, the little widow's might that she gave as the disciples were standing there and the Lord saw her put in her little might of giving, that represented to her so much and yet to somebody else, nothing. But that's how God sees us. He looks at our heart. He knows who we are because he created us. So when we give to the Lord, when we live to follow him and we do things out of obedience to him, those are our offerings and our gifts. Let us be cheerful, willing participants when we come to God our Father, giving Him the very best that we have. In fact, that is a, a great way to conclude the program today. And whatever your talent is or your ability is, if you want to give it to God, just give it to the Lord because He's listening to you. He gave you that talent and ability. He wants you to use it to praise His name. As we conclude the program today, we are really forced to look at ourselves in a unique way and say, Lord, we've got to 
we've got real do some, some changes here. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you've given me. And I, I want to give you the opportunity to change me and how I work. I want all my ways to follow you. So help me today to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen.